Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the contents in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. I'm Bob Krebs. Monsignor Peter Vaghi is a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington and the pastor of the Church of the Little Flower in Bethesda, Maryland. He has authored uh, several books and many articles. His latest book is titled Meeting God in the Upper Room, Three Moments to Change Your Life, published by Servant Books. Monsignor Vaghi is on the phone with us today. Good morning, Monsignor. Good morning, Bob, and thanks for having me on your on your radio show. Well, it's it's my pleasure. It's uh, great to talk to you today. Uh, we're going to be talking about your latest book, um, Meeting God in the Upper Room. Before we do, Monsignor, tell us a little bit about yourself, though. Well, I'm a pastor of the Little Flower Catholic Church, which is in Bethesda, Maryland, right over the district line. Um, I uh, have been a priest now for 31 wonderful years. Um, I went to the North American College in Rome, where I had my theological formation, I'm a lawyer by training, but I'm in recovery now. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, your latest book, uh, Meeting God in the Upper Room, there are three key events in church history that all happened in the same place, the Upper Room. Um, why are these events so uh, significant? Well, when you put them together, it kind of it speaks for itself. I mean, the Last Supper took place in the Upper Room. Um, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus took place in the Upper Room. And the Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit took place in the upper room. And I was doing research for the book. I, I kept hearing upper room, and I wanted to make sure it was the same upper room. And then I uh, remembered that Pope Francis had gone to the upper room in uh, uh, a few years ago. And in that upper room, he said, in this very room, uh, the Last Supper took place in this very room, the... Uh, that post-resurrection appearances of Jesus took place, and in this very room, Pentecost took place. So I knew I was off to the races. Yeah, and uh, is is the upper room mentioned in all of the Gospels, or just... Uh, it, it is. Yeah. It is, and uh, certainly in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is the uh, preparation for the, uh, the Last Supper. Jesus sends his disciples, you know, uh, to prepare in a different way. You'll find a man in Jerusalem, and he'll take you to an upper room. And in my book, I talk about, you know, that was the preparation for the Passover meal, and certainly on, in our level, each of us prepares ourselves, or should be preparing ourselves, when we, when we go to, to Sunday Mass or when we go to Mass period, about fasting and, and also uh, preparing ourselves uh, to be in, in the state of grace. There was a very great preparation for the Last Supper. What inspired you to, to write this book? Was it, was it what Pope Francis said about, uh, about the upper room, or...? I think there were really two things. First of all, I led a, a pilgrimage group uh, to the Holy Land a number of years ago, and we went in the upper room, and uh, it really uh, impressed me. when I, I was thinking then primarily of the Last Supper and relatively newly ordained priest. It was, I was very, uh, very touched by it, as were all the pilgrims. And then I was um, doing the uh, uh, Jesuit retreat, a spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius, this is a couple of years ago, and my spiritual director said, I want you to go and spend two weeks in the upper room. This was before Easter. And uh, I did, and uh, used the texts 
from John's Gospel particularly, and uh, that really inspired me. That's where basically the idea came that these were three key moments where we encounter Christ. Uh, not only do the disciples uh, uh, encounter the Lord then, but we do in our day as well in these three moments of our lives. Yeah, that's, that leads me to my next question, Monsignor. You know, uh, what is the connection between the upper room of the Gospels and the faith life of today's Catholic Christian? Is, what, what difference does it make to us today in, 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 uh, in 2017, I guess, is, is the bottom line? Well, Bob, you know, you, you've really uh, you've asked the, the, the key question of, of, of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we'd have to go through uh, what happened in, at those, those various moments. This is not just a walk down uh, history lane, but uh, we see the upper room as an icon, if you will, or a lens of a fruitful church. And whenever we experience and seek the Lord, um, we experience the Lord in upper room experiences of our own lives. Let me give you a couple examples. First of all, in the upper room, um, the Eucharist was instituted, Holy Orders was instituted, the Sacrament of Penance was instituted, confirmation, the origin of the imposition of hands, but in a certain way it perpetuates the grace of, of Pentecost coming of the Holy Spirit. So in all those ways, the graces from these sacraments, we continue to strengthen and sustain us, um, and that's one way that we continue to experience the presence of the upper room in our life. Mm. Another would, would go back to the Last Supper, when uh, we were focusing on service, and Jesus washing the, the feet of the disciples. Um, in my book, I refer to that as an icon of Catholic social teaching, of, of all Catholic social teaching. It's leader, servant leadership, huh? We're all called priests or lay, and when we and we meet Christ when we serve in charity others. So that would be a service component, which would be directly uh, linked to the service in the upper room. Then another example would be, and probably the most profound example, would be our prayer lives. Um, the high priestly prayer of Jesus is what they we, they call it uh, in John 17. Uh, Whenever we pray, we and John, John uh, Jesus was was demonstrating to us. John seventeen twenty twenty one was demonstrating us about the prayer of Jesus. He let us eavesdrop, if you will, on the prayer to his Father. Mm-hmm. So when we pray in, in our day, we also experience it's an upper room experience of prayer. The profession of faith would be another example. Um, Saint Thomas. This was the Easter Sunday night. Remember the post resurrection experience, and we see who was doubting Thomas the faith of Thomas began to emerge when he said, My Lord and my God. And we every Sunday we say the creed, and when we do works to witness the faith, that's another way we have an upper room experience. Um, well, another a very good example would be the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, which we receive at baptism, confirmation, and whenever we call upon the Holy Spirit, uh, fills us with joy. Um, the Holy Spirit came to the disciples in the upper room with Mary. Um, these would be some examples of presence of Mary. Mary in prayer is an ex- uh, essential part of our lives as Catholics, and Mary is an icon of other church. Um, when uh, she was in the upper room praying, which turned that room into a room of prayer. And finally, and this is, this is really the, the heart of it, uh, is the apostolic zeal. that uh, the, 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 After Pentecost, they went forth and they preached the gospel with boldness. They were missionary disciples, in the words of Pope Francis, and that is another way that we experience the upper room experience in our own prayer lives and our own experiences as Catholics. 
Monsignor, what, what do you want your readers to take away from the book? Well, I think the, the idea that, um, that the, what happened at one moment or a number of three moments in history continue to have perduring effect in our own spiritual lives and development. Um, certainly through the sacramental encounters, which are distinguishing qualities of us who are Catholics, um, through our prayer lives, and this, this, it takes on added weight when you consider that, that these uh, dimensions of, of, our, of our own life today were rooted in history, and we can directly point to a specific place, wherever that place was in the Holy Land, um, to, to build up our own faith in our day. Yeah. What has been the, what has been the reaction to the book? What have what have your readers? I know it's it's a new book, but what, what have you been hearing from your readers so far? Well, it's been surprisingly. Uh, I think my brother always says he's a, it's the beautiful cover, you know, that's <laughs> selling your book. Uh, it's a beautiful cover and the title. I guess we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but uh, but that I think is is a part of it. It's it's caught the imagination because most people say, "Well, I never thought three these sacraments were instituted in the upper room." Yeah. You know, I never. We always think of washing the feet, don't we? Because we do that on Holy Thursday, but uh, I never thought of uh, the whole upper room as a room of prayer. I mean, when we look at John's uh, uh, John's Gospel, uh, the there is a significant part of the gospel, which is uh, 14 to 16, uh, would, would be part of his farewell address. Um, in the address, Jesus says, I, I want to be, I call you my friends. The idea that we have friendship with God, uh, that's another dimension of, of what, what was the legacy of the upper room, that the, the Lord befriended us. The one that I really struck me was in John 17, he said that Jesus said, and I'm praying for those who will become my followers. He was praying for us hours before he was uh, was was crucified, already in the upper room. Mm. So there's an intimacy that we can we can take away, hopefully, from even the prayer life of Jesus, which we eavesdrop on in the upper room in John 17. Yeah. Well, the book is titled "Meeting God in the Upper Room" by Monsignor Peter Vaghi. It's available at your local Catholic bookstore or Amazon.com or any of your other favorite online retailers or at shop.franciscanmedia.org. Thanks, Monsignor. Thanks for your time today. Bob, thanks. And thanks to all your listeners. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm Bob Krebs. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. On March 25th, at least 1,000 men visited the Carl J. Murphy Performing Arts Center at Morgan State University for the Catholic Men's Fellowship of Maryland Annual Conference. In the last few years, the conference has outgrown its successive venues. What makes it so popular? Quality speakers. 84-year-old David Denish, a former Presbyterian who became a Catholic last year at the Easter Vigil, said he was particularly looking forward to seeing Scott Hahn. Hahn, a former Presbyterian minister, described his gradual journey toward Catholicism through his study of Scripture and the early Church. In one amusing anecdote, Hahn described how his wife, Kimberly, was worried about him leaving Protestantism and sought the advice of a friend and former seminary classmate of Hahn's. She sent the classmate some of Hans' arguments and findings, hoping the man could refute them. Instead, he suggested that she seek a divorce. As Hahn recounted from the stage, his wife never took the advice and eventually converted to Catholicism. Hahn received a call from his former classmate some time later, and the man apologized for what he had advised Kimberly. 
He added that he had been looking at Han's points, which he had been asked to refute, and he told Han, quote, I think the Catholics might be right, end quote, and announced that he was enrolled in RCIA. The day also included talks from prominent local Catholics, such as Deacon Paul Shelton of the Church of the Blessed Sacrament in Baltimore and Father James Sora, Vocations Director for the Baltimore Archdiocese. Read all about it and much more at catholicreview.org, and don't forget to check out our comprehensive coverage at cardinalwilliamkeeler.com. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Eric Zygmunt. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. The season of sacraments is nearly here. First Holy Communion, Confirmation, and Weddings. Visit the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral, and stop by the gift shop for all of your gift needs. From beautiful frames to crucifixes and crosses, statues and one-of-a-kind rosaries, the Basilica gift shop has it all. Friendly, knowledgeable staff members can help you select the perfect gift. Also available, Baltimore's very own Mouth Party Caramels, locally designed hand-painted signs and jewelry, plus gifts for Easter as well as an extensive line of St. Patrick's Day items sure to bring out the Irish in everyone. Visit the Basilica Gift Shop at 409 Cathedral Street in Baltimore or call 410-727-3565 for hours and directions. Free street parking available directly in front of the Basilica between 9.30 and 4 p.m. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Q1370 WQLL. I'm Bob Krebs for Catholic Baltimore. My guest today is Teresa Tamio, author, syndicated Catholic talk show host, and motivational speaker, who worked for many years in the secular media. Her latest book is a servant publication titled Beyond Me, My Selfie, and I, Finding Real Happiness in a Self-Absorbed World. Teresa Tamio, welcome to Catholic Baltimore. Thanks. It's good to be here. appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to uh, talking about your new book. Um, before we get started, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would, please. I, I gave our listeners a little bit of background in your uh, introduction, but uh, if you could expound on that just a little bit, it would be great. Sure. Well, it's, it's been uh, quite, and it continues to be quite a ride for me. I spent um, half of my life in secular media before leaving in 2000 to start my own communications company and speaking ministry. I was a Catholic journalist, I mean, I'm sorry, secular journalist, 
TV anchorwoman, radio reporter, uh, working and, and covering the streets of Detroit live five days a week, wow. and never intended to, or never even thought about, because didn't even know Catholic radio existed, uh, to be a motivational speaker, you know, a Catholic author and talk show host, as you just mentioned. It yeah. was not, uh, you know, in my agenda, on my agenda at all. I thought I would just, um, you know, be very content staying in the secular news media, but God had other plans, and when I came back to my faith, I had a very strong reversion uh, almost, well, let's say, 22, 23 years ago. I just felt that I had to leave and, and come and do what I could for the Lord, and it's been an amazing ride ever since. But a lot of what I talk about, as I do in this book, Me, Myself, and I, has to do with my background, understanding the media, not only how it works. I'm not just talking about the news media. I'm talking about the culture and how it affects us. A lot of it comes from my professional experience, but also from my own personal experience and my journey back to the church because I was greatly affected by the messages in the industry for which I was working, and so I have a unique perspective on it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So how did the idea of this book come about? Well, it was. It, if you uh, read the beginning of the book, it's, it comes from something that hit me like a ton of bricks. My husband is a deacon in the Catholic Church, and so we often find ourselves, we're both 100% Italian-American, we often, uh, for both our faith and my husband uh, being involved in the diaconate, traveled to Italy for vacation and for faith reasons. And we were in Italy um, in 2014, this was May of 2014, and we were getting ready to lead a pilgrimage. We were in northern Italy. We were getting ready to meet a group uh, in the Turin area for the Shroud, for the uh, second showing of the Shroud that they had two years ago. Mm-hmm. And we were up in the um, Lake District on Lake Garda, which is a beautiful part of Italy. And so we go take this, this um, cable car up a mountainside to go to the top of Mount Baldo, which is this beautiful location where you can see a good chunk of the Lake District and the Alps and whatnot. And so we get there. And everybody is all excited, and people from all over the world, you know, a large group are gathering. And there is this one couple, I'm not sure where they were from, they didn't speak English, they, I, I think they were speaking not Italian, but maybe German, but very um, young, attractive couple. And they were obviously either engaged or maybe even married, but they kept taking selfies of each other. I mean, from the time they stepped on the platform... <laughs> all the way up the cable car right now this cable car is unique because it turns around 360 degrees so as you're going up this incredible mountainside it's turning so you get this beautiful view of the lakes and the houses and the treetops and the mountains they did not look out at all and even when they got off the cable car they kept snapping selfies and then looking at the selfies and i'm thinking to my to myself no pun intended (laughs) how could they ignore such beauty and only be looking at themselves. And then I started to ponder and pray about that as we were on this pilgrimage and vacation and realizing that it's not the selfies that are the bad things, but it's how we become consumed with ourselves through these instruments that we don't use correctly. So that's how the book was born. Yeah. You say in your book that we have a selfie-obsessed culture. Explain that, if you would, please. Well, I think if we look back at at the fallout from um, this last election in terms of the way people reacted, now regardless, I'm not going to get into the politics of the voting, but it's all based on feelings. Even in trying to educate my listeners on uh, what are we to look at as Catholics, right? We have to, we don't endorse, you know, candidates on Catholic radio, but we have to look at the issues and we have to talk about the church teachings and whatnot. And people could not get beyond quote-unquote, their feelings. Everything was about their emotions. I mean, these are people who, who even were educated Catholics who are just saying, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like this. And I'm like, you know what? It's not about you. As Catholics, we're a universal church, and we're supposed to look at the issues from a much different vantage point. How is this going to affect the faith? How is it going to affect life? It's, it's the big picture. And people, for whatever reason, could not get beyond that in many cases. And I think part of it is because we are so obsessed with self. It's all about me. Part of it is because we've built this world that is only concerned about 
as I say in the title, me, myself, and I. Mm-hmm. One of your chapters is titled The Unhealthy Trio Versus the Holy Trinity. Right. <laughs> uh, explain that, if you would, please. Well, you know, one of the things that I had to learn when I was coming back to the church was that it wasn't about my plan. You know, it wasn't about my will. You know, I always said, well, my will be done, Lord, and if you can put your stamp of approval on it, everything will be great, and I'll go to church and check off the box every Sunday. But what I realized when I had my um, many, and continue to have my many come-to-Jesus moments, that it's about living God's will for our lives and following not what me, myself, and I want, but what the Father, Son, and Holy Trinity have set mm. before us. Because the only way, and that comes with the subtitle of the book, Finding Real Happiness, the only way we are going to be truly happy is to discover God's plan, God's will for our life. And that takes humility, that takes a constant submission and surrendering. It's not easy. No, I'm still challenged by it every day. Yeah. But if we don't put God first, as in the Holy Trinity, we're never going to find that real happiness. What do you What do you mean by rediscovering our true identity as children of God? Is that kind of uh, at, at the at the basis of of this book of what you want your readers to to take away? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's at the at the basis of everything because if we don't know who we are, made in the image and likeness of God, and the fact that God has a unique plan for each of us, and that we are all called. Uh, you know, to fill, to fulfill this plan, that then we're just going to be wondering. And I did it for years. And, and, and what I like to tell people when I speak, not only on this book, but when I give my talks and my testimony, is been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. I mean, yeah. I bought into and my husband and I tell this in our marriage testimony, our reversion journey, which happened together. He came back first. I came back to the church after about a year later. But I was so consumed in terms of what I thought the world was telling me to do. I was very career-oriented. I was a radical feminist. I sacrificed a lot and almost lost my marriage and more importantly, my soul, for putting my desires, my career, it had to be all about me and being the anchor woman and the reporter and winning this Emmy or that Emmy or whatever. And I got so lost in that world that I barely found my way out. So what are some of the tools to help families and individuals be less self-centered that you, um, that you offer in your book? Number one, practice your faith. Make sure you have that relationship with the Lord. Ask the Lord to show you, to reveal himself, uh, to come into your life in a big way and to come into your heart. Practice your faith with a great love. Practice it at home. And then, you know, slow down with the media and be careful how you use the media. Those are two things I think that could make a huge difference. <laughs> so what do you want your readers to get out of the book? What's, what's the bottom line here? The bottom line is that the only way we're going to find happiness is knowing who we are in Christ. That That is a message that I, I talk about all the time, because until I had a relationship with Christ, nothing really made a lot of sense. I, I was accumulating a lot of wealth, a lot of success, a lot of awards, everything that the world said was important, but I wasn't really happy. Nothing satisfied me. I was always looking for the next brass ring. And my husband and I were living our lives very similarly, although he's not in broadcasting, he's in engineering. He was also, and still is, praise God, very successful, and we're grateful for that. But we lost focus. And it, again, as I said earlier, it almost cost us our marriage and, and more importantly, our souls. So the biggest thing I stress is that we have to start with that basic relationship with Jesus and then, you know, to practice that within the beauty and the history of our Catholic Church. What uh, type of reaction have you gotten from your readers so far? Uh, it's been really good. I, I think especially people my age in, in their 50s appreciate it because a lot of us are on Facebook and we're dealing with a lot of you know, this, this media-obsessed culture. We're seeing how people our age, even though we may not be as, you know, technically, technology advanced, technology advanced as some of the younger folks, we're affected by it a lot. And people, I think it, it's an eye-opener for them, and parents and grandparents are appreciating the information in there as well. Yeah, great. 
Well, Teresa, the book is titled Me, Myself, and I, Finding Real Happiness in a Self-Absorbed World. How can our uh, listeners get a copy, and, and how can we learn more about your radio show and your, and your other work? Thanks for asking. It's real simple. I have a, a, an updated and revamped website. It's just TeresaTomio.com, and that's Teresa as in the great St. Teresa of Avila. Not that I'm as good as her in nearly any, <laughs> you know, good, good to tie her shoes, but I was named after her. And so that's T-E-R-E-S-A-T-O-M-E-O, TeresaTomio.com. Beyond Me, My Selfie, and I, Finding Real Happiness in a Self-Absorbed World by Teresa Tomio is available at your favorite Catholic bookstore or online retailer and at teresatomio.com. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm Bob Krebs. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.